You are listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week 10 of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled God Most Wise. Nonetheless, wisdom is to be our pursuit. The wisdom of God, that is, not our own, certainly not the world's. The wisdom of the source of all wisdom the source of, as we looked at last week, all truth. Today my teaching time is going to run a little differently. You've been listening to me all semester, so I wanna give you the opportunity to hear um, some words of wisdom from some other sisters in the Lord. So I will speak for a shorter time today, about 15 minutes, and then I've asked four women to briefly share how they've experienced the attribute of God an attribute of God, whichever one they wanted to pick in their own life, how he has shown himself in a personal, meaningful way to be exactly who he says he is. But before we look at wisdom, let me pray for us. Oh, all wise Father God, how blessed we are that you are the source of wisdom and that your word tells us you will generously without reproach pour out that wisdom on us when we ask. And Lord, we are asking that now. Give us your wisdom. Open our eyes and ears and hearts to the words that you have for us. Speak in spite of me, Lord. Speak despite me. Just reveal yourself to these women who you are how much you love each one of us and how you've called each one of us to reflect your image, even in wisdom. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. So if you're like me, then a desperate plea for wisdom is often on your lips as you speak to God. Oh Lord, tell me what to do in this difficult situation. Lord, show me how to handle this challenging relationship. And certainly that is not a bad thing. I encouraged you in the homework questions to memorize James 1.5, which instructs us, if any of you lacks wisdom, yeah, me, often, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Jen clearly distinguished between knowledge and wisdom in her chapter, and how we sometimes confuse the two. But unfortunately, they do not always exist together. Think of the brilliant scientist filled with so much knowledge and yet denies the existence of God. Or the very intelligent medical doctor who ignores the sanctity of life. And here are some definitions I found for wisdom. Having or showing experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Deep understanding, keen discernment, capacity for sound judgment, the ability to think and act utilizing knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. Webster says it is knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it. A.W. Tozer defined wisdom as the skill to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. The ability to see the end from the beginning, to see everything in proper relation and in full focus. Clearly, that is why only God is all wise. He can see the end. He perceives everything in full focus, and only he can attain the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. It's no wonder that scripture informs us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We can never hope to attain wisdom if we do not start with an appropriate reverence and awe for God, for his word, for his truth. And his wisdom always has a moral connotation to it. Tozer points out that unlike the world's, God's wisdom will always be high and holy full of love and purity. It will never be shrewd or crafty. And so often the world's wisdom is. Society may describe a successful businessman as being wise because he is shrewd enough to outsmart his competition, even if unethically, and therefore reach the pinnacle in his field. 
Oh, how God's wisdom turns that thinking upside down. James writes in chapter three, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Jen in her chapter listed several other ways that James distinguishes between the world's wisdom and God's. And let's see other biblical passages describing the wisdom of God. Proverbs 3, 19 states, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. Paul in his letter to the Ephesian saints starts out blessing God who has blessed us in Christ and he lists the ways he chose us that we should be holy, that we should be adopted through Jesus Christ. He blessed us with grace and redemption and forgiveness. And then in verse eight he writes, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Everything God has done has been in complete wisdom. From the creation of the world to the redemption of his children through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And dear friends, we know that God does not, cannot change from his character. Therefore, everything God has done in your life has also been in complete wisdom. Do you believe that? Do you live in faith that this truth applies to your past, your present, your future. Despite the uncertainty or the obstacles or the challenges you face, do you trust that God will always act in absolute wisdom and that his wisdom will always be full of love and purity? The same is true of Jesus Christ, always one with the Father. Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah in 11, chapter 11, verse two. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter one, verse 24, refers to Christ as the power and wisdom of God despite the fact, as he points out in the previous verse, that he is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Is that not our reality today? So many consider the words of Jesus Christ as foolishness, as outdated, out of touch, not relevant in today's so-called enlightened society. As I pointed out last week with truth, the lack of belief in no way negates or even minimizes the absolute pure wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Matthew writes in his gospel in chapter 13, verse 54, how after Jesus taught in the synagogue, people were astonished and asked, where did this man get this wisdom? They acknowledged it, and yet so many refused to believe and follow the wisdom he spoke. In fact, Matthew also tells that they even took offense at him. A verse I referenced last week, Colossians 2.3, states in describing Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all wisdom. Lest we judge harshly those in Jesus' hometown who heard the wisdom and yet were offended and filled with unbelief, are there words of Christ which we hear but we decide in our pride that perhaps there's another option, a better way. How about in everything give thanks or cast all your cares upon him or forgive your enemies? I could list so many. We hear, we believe Christ spoke those words and yet, now we would never verbalize this, especially not in church, but secretly, do we wonder if that is really the wisest thing to do in our specific circumstance? Surely God will understand that this is super unique and qualifies as the one allowable exception. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. No rational humor, human could offer thanks in this situation and no one would consider what's happening to me to be pure joy. 
And so inwardly, we doubt the infinite, holy, eternal wisdom of God, and we resort to ours. Daily, we must each ask the question, whose wisdom will prevail in my life, mine or the Lord's? And before we quickly respond with, well, God's of course, after all, I do love him dearly and follow him closely, do our actions, our attitudes, our nagging worries reveal that we believe, truly believe that his way is wisest, that he and he alone is filled with wisdom and knows best. The psalmist in chapter 51 verse six writes, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Scripture tells us you have not because you ask not. Ask and God will give generously without reproach. If you lack wisdom in your secret heart, ask the source and provider of all wisdom. The second half of that verse in the New American Standard translation reads, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. And I could spend all morning reading verses in Proverbs about wisdom. I'm going to read a few from chapter four. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do you hear the commands in there? Hold fast, keep, get, do not turn away, do not forsake, guard, prize her. We cannot be passive in the pursuit of wisdom. We cannot sit back and just wait for the spirit to shower it down upon us. We need to study God's word, to hold fast to those words, to keep it, to cherish it in our secret heart. Later in Proverbs in chapter 24, Solomon states that by wisdom, a house is built. And in Ecclesiastes, which most believe was also written by Solomon, he informs us in chapter seven that wisdom gives strength to the wise man. Earlier in that same chapter, he writes, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. He clearly understood that we have to not just receive wisdom, but then also to protect it. Why? Because human nature is susceptible to so quickly forget, to stray, to allow our selfish desires or pride or fear to determine what is wise. We protect that wisdom by continually seeking and listening to the source, to know whom we've believed, to cling to his truth and to know that we are not alone in that battle. In Luke chapter 21, 15, Jesus states, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Paul tells Timothy in his second letter in chapter three, verses 14 through 15, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, we have the tools we need to obtain wisdom. Are we asking for it? Are we diligently pursuing it? Are we carefully protecting it? What we ask for in alignment with God's will, we will receive. Ephesians 1.17, which I read last week, but it's worth reading again. 
assures us that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And hear these blessings that we will then receive. Proverbs chapter three, verses 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Does that not sound amazing? Better than silver and gold? More precious than jewels? No other desire even compares? Pleasantness? Peace? Being blessed? Will that always look like a smooth, happy, conflict-free life? No. But when we are walking in God's wisdom, we can have peace because we know we are being held in the hand of an all-loving, all-merciful, all-gracious Father who does see the whole picture, who intends to conform us to his Son's image, who desires our holiness, and who has a perfect plan for each of us. That is why we seek his wisdom. Ask for it, ladies. And when God pours it out on you through his spirit, through his word, cherish it guard it, and live in it. And now I'm gonna ask my friends to share, and I will tell you that amazingly enough, when I asked each one of them, none of them had the response of, oh yay, I love microphones, and I love standing on stage in front of dozens of ladies. But I'm so grateful that they were willing to do this because they wanted to bring glory to God and share testimony. So um, I'm gonna ask Michelle Bartholomew, Bartholomew to um, come up. She's definitely right when she says, I do not love talking in front of a microphone. I do like singing, but <laughs> if you were at the retreat this weekend, you saw some of that, unfortunately. Um, so over the past several, well, about a month maybe, I've been dealing with some struggles personally. Um, I haven't been at WBF uh, for the last two weeks because I was out of town, although I had been listening to the recordings. Um, last Thursday, I was on my way to our cabin, and um, I was listening to Julie's teaching on patience, and I felt like God was talking directly to me and um, how the things I was going through were due to my lack of patience yet again. Um, when Julie asked me on Friday if I would be willing to share today, I immediately knew that this was what I was gonna share on. Um, patience is something that I've lacked my entire life. I am the type of person, I think of something, I gotta get it done right away. Um, if I decide something, it needs to happen right away. Um, God certainly has given me my share of circumstances to teach me patience. Unfortunately, as much as I want things to happen quickly, the one thing that hasn't happened quickly is me learning patience. Um, I think of the many ways God's provided me the patience I have needed over the last several years. My husband and I adopted our son from China almost four years ago. Although we were very fortunate with a pretty smooth adoption process, it still didn't move quickly, as quickly as I would have liked it to. Um, there was a lot of paperwork to be completed, and during that time, that was fine because I was busy, I was doing something, but once I submitted the paperwork, there was a lot of waiting. Um, my normal self would be... Um, that I wouldn't wait, I mean, I wouldn't wait well. I, uh, but I had this overwhelming sense of patience that definitely was not for me. The Holy Spirit was definitely filling me with the patience that I could never obtain on my own. I have also experienced and continue to experience God providing me with the patience to mother our son, Leon, the way he needs to be mothered. Parenting an, an adopted child can look a lot different than parenting a biological child. There are many things that you don't know about your child and there are triggers for them that you aren't even aware of, and you're both learning together. In our case, there have been language barriers to overcome, and there are some special needs that we have to consider. The way I parent and the way I discipline is much different than the way I ever thought I would, but through it all, I have this 
uncanny patience that, again, is not for me and can only be from the spirit. Believe me, I don't get it right all the time. And when I don't, I, I usually realize it and I go to him and apologize <laughs> to my son, that is, and to God. Um, I can easily get impatient and frustrated with those close to me and with God when I don't see spiritual growth happening in those around me. I get frustrated with God because I think if I'm praying for this, and it certainly can't be something that is against your will, then why wouldn't this person be growing spiritually? And then I remember how patient God has been with me. It took me 40 years to come to Christ. I look back over my life and I can see how clearly, or see clearly now, that many times he gave me the opportunity to accept him, but I never did. He never gave up on me and I'm so grateful for that. So I need to be patient with others as God has been patient with me. Being the impatient person that I am, I tend to give things to God and then begin to take them back little by little when I don't see things going as fast as I would like them to or I don't feel like God's doing anything. When this happens to me, I want to blame others, especially my husband. Of course, I'm sure there are some things that he is at fault in, but, in my, but my impatience causes me to act and react from the flesh instead of the spirit. This happens a little bit over time, so when it happens, I don't even realize it's happening until it gets out of control. I tend to slowly begin to try to take control of things. And the funny thing is, is the more I try to take control, the more I feel out of control. I often pray for God to convict me immediately of my sin before it takes root. And I do, do believe that he is doing that during these times, but I just tend to ignore his convictions, and that's when I fall. Is anybody here familiar with the movie 50 First Dates? Yeah. Well, it's a comedy with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, and Drew's character suffers from a brain injury following a car accident. She suffers from memory loss, and each day she wakes up and she forgets what happened the day before. This is kind of how I feel a lot of times with these lessons that God teaches me. You know, I, I realize it, I know it, but then the next day I kind of forget it. So I have felt... Like as I grow in my sanctification process, I become more and more impatient with myself as well. Probably more impatient with myself than I do with others. Because I've experienced the overwhelming peace that comes from walking in the spirit. And I've also felt the overwhelming anxiety of walking in the flesh, especially when I lose my patience and try to take control. So I get frustrated with myself for allowing this to happen when it does. I often think of the verse in Malachi 3.3, where he says he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And I think of the story that I've read before. I'm sure many of you have probably heard this, but I'm going to read it. So, so this verse puzzled some women in a Bible study, and they wondered what this statement meant about the character and nature of God. One of the women offered to find out the process of refining silver and get back to the group at their next Bible study. That week, the woman called the silversmith and made an appointment to watch him work. She didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest beyond her curiosity about the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot when she thought again about the verse that says, he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man's, man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eye on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy, when I see my image in it. So if today you're feeling the heat of the fire, remember that God has his eye on you and will keep you watching until he sees his image in you. As much as I can get impatient with others and myself when mistakes are made or we seem to take one step forward and two steps back, I know that as Jesus tells us in 2 Corinthians 12:9, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. And we are told in James 1 to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As difficult as these times can be when I do, you know, lose my patience and I try to take control, when I'm on the other side of it and I can look back, I can see, clearly see where God has used this time to change me and grow me and how much, how much patience he continues to have for me.
Thank you, Michelle. I'm sure all of us can relate to the struggle to maintain patience. I'm now going to invite Susan Hoover to come up and share. Well, my name is Susan Hoover. Um, I'm going to be talking about the goodness of God. I could go through probably all my sins and, and then talk about those, but I'm not going to. And I think what may have precipitated just this whole thing, which I think is so wonderful that we're able to share little bits of our lives so that we can encourage each other on. And that, um, that first time that we heard the goodness of God, I'm sitting there crying and I could not stop crying. So every morning, not that I want to cry every morning, um, I put that on. That's like my music for this period in my life. Um, so it's the word goodness and generation. They're two very important words to me. So now I'm going to read it. So my name is Susan Hoover. I'm married to Gary Hoover. Lots of times people know him, but they don't know me. And I was born in 1953 in Schenectady, New York, and raised mostly in Massachusetts. I'm one of five siblings and mom to three grown children. One of them is there, and grandmom to 10 grandchildren. Right now, right about now, you're thinking either, boy, she looks good for her age, as you try to do the math in your head, or you're thinking, man, she's aged a lot. So either one, whatever that is. I was raised in a non-Christian home with very few conversations about who God is or about where I ultimately came from or even why I was here. There were questions that burned in my soul from the tender age of four. So remember that, you young mothers. You may think that they're really not thinking about anything, but they are. Um, as you know, Julie has asked some of us in the older generation, although that lady is probably a lot younger than me, um, to share about our story of faith and God's faithfulness to us. In reality, it is God's unfolding story of love and redemption which he has invited me into to be a part of, to be a part of in this particular generation. I'm very, very much aware of that. Their time is short but there is a reason for each one of you to be alive now. He didn't cause me to be born in the 1500s, the 1600s, I'm nervous, I'm sorry, or any other century, but it was in the 1900s that he chose to create my life. Last week, I was told that my life at this point, and especially because of a number of heart-wrenching situations, seemed to be like catching a bad case of the measles. That's what I was talking about, Renee which everyone else had contracted, but until this time, I had not suffered from. Now, uh, now that I was experiencing it, it seemed to be, come as a surprise because those types of sorrow or hurting didn't touch me in particular. It was not meant to be unkind, but it was that person's observation. Somehow, in their eyes, I seemed to live a life relatively free from sadness, sickness, discouragement, and heartache, disappointment, loss, and sin. How far from the truth. I realized that the metaphor of measles really relates to what I had come to know in my early 20s as a sickness inside the measles, and it seemed like nothing could cure it. My heart was a breeding ground of selfishness, lies, pride, immorality, and just plain old sin. Yet I still ached to know about those bigger questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there something out there? In those early 20s and the 70s, after being married for a couple of years, I got a job as a secretary in a prestigious accounting firm, Burris, Coots & Burris. I did not want to get a job in an accounting firm. I had already worked in one, and I knew the pressures, and I didn't want to get a job again in an accounting firm, but that's the only job I could find. Corlette Burroughs Sr., the 65-year-old white-haired senior partner, started sharing with me about his experience of becoming a Christian. He went from just a church-going person to someone who really understood who Jesus was and why he came. He would come to my desk and give pamphlets about the Gospel of John and spend time explaining to me about what the message of the Bible was for me personally. My eyes were starting to open to what message of love and redemption was for me. 
slowly the truth of the gospel started dawning on me. I had a terminal disease in me that was going to end in death. Jesus, the Son of God, came to actually take the sins, measles, of mine and the world upon himself and bear the punishment, judgment for them so that I didn't have to. It was out of love for his creation that he did this. As a mother, we may, we may be able to identify this when we see our children suffering. If we could, we would take on their suffering to spare them the pain. One summery night after a particularly difficult disagreement with my husband, I went driving, probably not a good thing. On that drive, I spoke out loud to God and asked him to save me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I wouldn't be culpable for all that was evil in me. The next day, I went into the office and told my boss, Mr. Burris, about what had happened. With a smile on his face, he said, Susan, the angels in heaven were rejoicing over me. It was life-changing. Um, throughout my life, I've seen how God's kindness and goodness, even in the worst of times, have been shown to me. It helps me carry on knowing that the shepherd of my life is there guiding, loving, and disciplining. I worked in that accounting firm for three years, and then we moved to Lancaster County, PA. I was pregnant with our first daughter, Renee, and we were excited about telling our next generation about the God who created her. Years went by with more children, more experiences with seeing the Lord moving in families' lives, friends' lives along, along with the heartache that comes with living in a fallen world. We are allowed to witness full circle moments in our lives that I believe are a gift from God. To me, this is his goodness. We don't always get to see it, but I had a pretty profound one. It was profound to me. We don't always know how things turn out, but when we are able to experience one of those moments, it helps us to be that much more of God's presence and love. I'll share a story about one of those. We had been living in Lancaster County for about 22 22 years, which would have made me about 46 years old. My mother-in-law, Joan, who was a Christian by that time, was living in Virginia Beach and was employed as one of those ladies who give out samples in a grocery store. She met Winston Burris, the son of Corlette Burris, the one who led me to the Lord. Now I worked with both those men, and Winston Burris was kind of a highfalutin businessman at that time, so very nice, but I knew he wasn't like his dad. She said that I'd worked for them many years ago and asked if he, he remembered me. I don't think he really didn't. He was trying to be kind to her, but he, you know, I'm, I'm three years there. He then said that his father had just passed away. She relayed that information to me. In the following days, I felt a strong impression from the Lord to write Winston and express my condolences, but also to relay to him about the impact that his father had on me. I told him about how his dad had shared about the Lord with me. I expressed my profound appreciation for that and also told him that becoming a follower of Christ had impacted not only me, but my next generation and anticipated the rippling effect on my grandchildren and their children. I am seeing that right now. It was a heartfelt letter that was sent in remembrance of his father. I didn't know Winston's address, and there was no internet, couldn't look that up, didn't have the phone book from Virginia Beach, so I called directory assistance. Do we ever do that now? I don't even know if it exists. <laughs> they could give me the street name, but couldn't figure out the city. It was either Chesapeake or Virginia Beach, so I guessed and I sent the letter. Weeks went by, but one morning the phone rang, and when I picked it up, I heard that oh-so-familiar southern baritone male voice that I used to hear in the office. He made sure it was me and then told me who it was. I already knew. Then he told me about how the letter was sent to the wrong city. I'm gloss my place. But somehow, he end, but it ended up in his address in Chesapeake. Think about how impossible that is. I have put street instead of lane, and I get the letter back now. So to me, that was like unbelievable. He then told me what that testimony of who his father was and how he had impacted the Hoover family by sharing the gospel had impacted his own family. 
He shared that letter with his whole with his family, had it copied and laminated it for his family and their generations as part as their of as part of their father's legacy. After over two decades, that short three-year employment with a godly boss had come back around to me in a profound way. Both Winston and I were rejoicing. So in conclusion, as one of the older ones along the path, and I look at it as this long path, and the older ladies are going, come on, come on, this is the way. It's okay. It's hard, but it's okay. I have... Um, so I would like to encourage you to take heart. And from John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have come, I have overcome the world. And remember from Psalm 145:4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Thank you, Susan. God's sovereignty and goodness in that the job that she didn't want to take at an accounting firm that she didn't want to work at ended up with that beautiful result. So now I'm going to invite Ann Heisey to come up. And I told the ladies I wasn't asking older women, I was asking seasoned women. <laughs> we are well seasoned. Some of us more than others. <laughs> and as Julie also uh, when she asked me this the other Wednesday in the evening, um, she said, I know this is out of your comfort zone. <laughs> so that she gave me the out of saying no. But um, I told her I would pray about it. And as I went to bed that night and did pray about it, I asked God, um, I was still struggling. Can I do this? Do I want to do this? <laughs> I don't really like to stand up front and talk to people. But I said to him, okay, if I'm supposed to do this, then you tell me which attribute am I supposed to talk about? So I was falling asleep, and I actually remembered a women's retreat that I went to years and years ago. Um, where we were all asked at the end of the treat, the closing session, to go up front and choose an envelope from this table. And in that envelope was supposed to be a word that was an attribute that we could claim as ours from God. So I went back to my seat with my envelope and opened it, and it said, holy. And I thought, oh boy, did you pick up the wrong envelope? <laughs> I just, I could not wrap my head around the fact that God was saying I could be holy. I, I could see God as holy. I knew that God was holy. Um, but holiness um, just seemed something unattainable. You know, I... I can be those other things. Why didn't I get patience or, <laughs> or something like that? You know, something that I can do. But how do I do holy? I, I just couldn't, couldn't imagine. But later, as I went home and I, I opened my Bible and I used the concordance and I looked up all the scriptures that talked about being holy, I discovered that there were a number of places where God tells us to be holy. Um, we've talked about some of them here. Um, in Leviticus 19.2, it says, Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. And then First Peter in the New Testament, this is a paraphrase, but he says, To be holy in all your conduct. And I thought, uh, okay, so that's doing, you know, it's my conduct. But how, how does that look holy? Um, I understood the positional holy, holiness that Jen talks about in the book, that because I'm saved, because I love Jesus, I want to obey God, I have this position in his eyes of holiness. But how do I do holy? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, I lost my place here. 
the other, the other attributes that we've studied, I felt like, okay, I can be patient, I can be kind, I can be good, I can be honest, all those things. But I was still struggling with the holy part. Over the years, I had tried to reflect God, God's image, be his image bearer in my actions and my speech. But this holy thing just kept nagging at me. Then when we started this study, and two pages into the book, even before the first chapter, it was in the, you know, that, what do they call that thing? Intro. That. Thank you. It said, our inclination is to ask, what shall I do? But shouldn't we be asking, who should I be? And that, that really spoke to me because I had been thinking for a long time that, okay, I can, I'm often patient, but do I feel patient inside when I'm being patient? Not always. I don't always feel kind when I might be saying things that are kind or whatever. And I was struggling with the fact that my, my insides, my thoughts, my attitude didn't didn't line up with my speech or my behavior. I, I felt like there was this disconnect. Um, and I, then I thought of that story, which we've probably all heard about the little boy who kept standing up on the pew in church and his mother would tell him to sit down. But inside he would think, okay, mom, I'll sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. And I kind of, I started to think of myself that way. Okay, I'm, I'm being these things, I'm doing the, I mean, I'm doing these things, but it's not, it's more coming from the outside in than the inside out. And the more you do them, actually, the better you get at them. Repetition, like Jen said, is good. That's how we learn. Um, but this, this study has really helped me um, to see that becoming more holy is not just about my actions, getting my actions right, but getting my heart right. And my actions will naturally follow. They'll be more who I am than what I do or say. I'm learning that holiness comes from the inside out. It can only be attained by spending more time with God through reading his word, praying to him, and especially lately by just sitting in his presence and letting him speak to me. Sometimes I get so in the way of what he wants to tell me by talking to him and asking him for things and telling him what I need that I have really focused lately on just sitting quietly, meditating on what I may have read in the Bible that day or in a devotional, but trying to pay more attention to his voice. And I, I feel different somehow lately. I feel more like it is coming from who I am than how I act. Obviously, I can agree with Paul in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. I'm going to invite Jesse Zimmerman to come up now. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So honestly, Ian, and I know we all can relate to that, the struggle between the outward and the inner. And certainly it is not coincidence that as she is growing in that, it is coming along with learning to just sit and listen to the Lord. Think of your friendships. If you just talked 
all the time to the other person and never listened, you probably wouldn't know a whole lot about your friend. Hi. Um, I do not care for this. <laughs> so, and I'm going to ask you to have grace for me because I forgot that I was doing this. So that's the attribute that I'm speaking of is grace. Um, it's a concept that I could not grasp. Uh, I came to Christ in my mid to late 20s from a very angry, grief-filled existence. And um, I was learning all of the fruits of the Spirit and how to, working out my salvation. But the one thing I couldn't grasp was grace. I understood mercy just as absolutely. Kindness, I understood love as far as grace would allow me to understand love because I didn't understand grace. Uh, gentleness was good for other people, but I wasn't very gentle with my family. And um, as the kids got older, as I had children and, and began to parent, I parented first from anger because that's what I knew the most of. Um, and that's how it was in my family. The initial response was always no. The initial reaction was always an anger. And um, I hated it, absolutely hated it. And I begged God, show me what grace is. I can't get the concept of grace. And you know, you read it in the Bible and God's grace is what saved us. We were saved by grace, but I still didn't get it. You know, it's all up here and until it gets here in your heart, um, it's just a concept. And it's a concept that was not sinking in. So as the kids are getting older, I'm constantly asking their forgiveness because I'm um, responding in anger over a lot of things. And I ask them to start praying with me for gentleness and grace because those are the things that I needed my heart to change. And I knew it. And I cried every night, cried out to the Lord, explain to me what grace is. Let me get it. And one night... I finally, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was in my old apartment where it was just this little tiny kitchen that you had to walk through. Every, all the rooms were connected. And um, there were three people sitting at the table. And there was one person being very quiet. And I'm, oh, another person just yelling at me. And I stand up, and I'm thinking I'm standing up to defend myself because I lived my life in defense. And all of a sudden, I just grabbed her and held her. And just held her as she got rid of all of her anger and then just broke down. And it dawned on me, that's what Jesus is doing for me. He's holding me as I try to expel, get rid of all of this anger and fear and grief stuffed up inside of me. Sorry, this is making me cry because it's so, I can still feel it. And um, all I could think of was when I woke up, it was a total understanding of grace, the way God speaks to me, right into my heart. And it was changed my relationships at home. It began to change with the children, my youngest son, who we always butt heads because I think we're way too much alike. Um, took him a while to start to trust me in relating to me. And it took me a while to begin to relate to them in a more trusting, gentle manner. But I, I told them what happened. I told them the dream I had and the understanding of grace. Now at this point, they're entering into high school. So you can imagine this has taken a long time. It's been a long journey. Uh, but now we have a relationship where they trust me. My son actually calls and it talks to me. And it was such a relief to know that God is working in my heart. And as I seek after him and I ask for wisdom and understanding, it's the wisdom and understanding that go together. And then the whole, the wholeness, I just want to be whole in him, that he changes. I just want to get, I'm, my testimony's not long because I made it really short because that's my grace story. 
So there you go. Thank you so much, Jesse. And I love that idea of the wholeness that, that comes from the Lord. So in closing, I'm actually just going to read, because I didn't know if you turned over your homework questions, to see what I'd written on the last page for you. So if you didn't, I'm just going to read it for you now and then close us. Well, dear friends, you have crossed the finish line, at least just for this study. But remember, the race continues, and we are to run it with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope, for he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Cling to him who upholds you with his righteous right hand, and remember always that the will of the Lord is for your sanctification, to be continually transformed, that we may increasingly reflect his image by his grace and for his glory. You are loved, sweet sister, by the creator God and king of all kings. Rest in that, rejoice in that, and share that with the world in desperate need. And as a benediction over you, I'm gonna read Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Blessings on all of you, dear ladies. Thank you for this wonderful semester together. Amen.